Cool. <laughs> All right. This morning we're continuing our series looking at these parables about the present kingdom, parables of the present kingdom of God, that Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is present. It's here. It's now, but it's not yet. It's not here in all of its fullness and all of that, but it's here, Jesus says. It's here if we would take notice, if we would recognize it. This morning we're looking at uh, Matthew 13, verses 44 and four, uh, through 46, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. I found this uh, quote this, this week. All the children of Adam, all human beings at all times and in all places are in the kingdom business shopping night and day for the mystery of the city of God. This phrase stuck out to me. I just came up with this, uh, we are all shopping. I just kept thinking we're all shopping. Every single human being is shopping. We are all seeking out the mystery of life. Every single person. Throughout time, throughout history, all the children of Adam, all human beings at all times, all places are shopping for the mystery. This quote just kept standing out to me, kept calling for my attention. We've been looking at the last few weeks about Jesus' uh, parables on the present kingdom. We looked at the parable of the growing seed. Jesus saying that the kingdom is growing all around you whether you do anything about it or not. It's growing. It's growing up all around you. We looked at the wheat and the weeds where uh, there's an evil one who comes and plants weeds next to the good wheat and the farmer says, let it be. There's a time there's a time coming when we'll get rid of the evil, but not yet. Not yet. And last week we looked at the mustard seed and the yeast. Jesus making the point that the kingdom is hidden. It's subversive, like an invasive mustard seed, not like a redwood. Like a mustard seed, a mustard tree that grows and grows almost underground. It's not what we expected, Jesus says. The kingdom is everywhere. It's hidden. It's growing up. And it's not what we expected. It's not triumphant. It's not wiping out evil before our very eyes. It's not always what, it, what, what we want it to be. In fact, as we've seen over these last few weeks, as I've talked with many of you, we've seen that the kingdom, as Jesus describes it, is often exactly not what we want it to be. We would like him to say other things that sound nicer, sound like what we want, what we need, but Jesus describes it as it is, and so we have to take his word for it. He's not pandering to his audience. He isn't telling us what we want to hear that he might garner more support. As I said last week, he's a bad PR guy for the kingdom of God. He's bad at his job if it comes to getting us to buy what he is selling or what we want him to be selling. Let me say it that way. Because Jesus tells these parables to confront our understanding of the, of the kingdom of God, to confront us with the truth, because Jesus knows the truth about the kingdom. We may think we do, but he tells us the truth, and so we need to pay attention. So the kingdom of God, Jesus says, I feel like after he's told these three parables where we're really confronted with the truth and we don't always like what he's telling us, that, I, that the, this next parable, these parables we have this morning of the treasure 
and the pearl. I think what Jesus does here, this is, this is my take on it. He says, okay, the kingdom of God may not be exactly what you thought it was or what you needed it to be, but listen, it's still the best thing ever. It's still the best thing ever. It is the thing, Jesus is saying in these parables, of greatest value, worth laying down your life, worth giving everything up to get. That's his point here. I love that this is kind of how he wraps up Matthew 13. There's one more parable of the net, but we're going to wrap up Matthew 13 with these two parables where I think Jesus is saying, listen, I know it's been hard to hear these things about the kingdom. It's not what you wanted it to be, but it's still the best thing ever. And this is why this opening quote, I'll put it back up there, this opening quote caught my attention because the reality is we are all shopping for the best thing ever. We're all shopping for it. Every single person is looking for meaning, significance, the key to happiness, wholeness, meaning, and purpose. Every person is shopping, seeking, hoping that they will come across that magic elixir, the silver bullet that will cure everything. All what is wrong with us, all that we're searching for, everything we desire, we'll find it. We're all shopping. We're going window to window, store to store. And now it's click-to-click online looking for that magical thing that will satisfy all of our longings. We're all shopping. We're all shoppers on a quest, much like a man digging in a field or a merchant seeking fine pearls. I want to look at these parables individually, see uh, what what they have for us, what, what can we learn from interpreting them, and then, of course, moving to what do they mean for us? What do they mean for us, for the church for believers, for maybe those of you who are here for the first time or you're just still seeking, checking out Jesus, not quite sure what you're even doing here. What do these parables mean for us? I want to end there. But first, the parable of the hidden treasure. What, the first question that comes to mind, I love uh, just asking questions of the, of the Scripture. What questions do, does Scripture raise when you come to it? The first for me is, what kind of a person finds himself digging in random fields for lost things, for treasures. What kind of a person, other than a pirate, what kind of a person is out there looking for buried treasure, frantically, desperately looking for buried treasure? I try to say, what, kind of, what are the characteristics of this person? And some things started popping to my mind. Maybe you can think of some things as well. What are the characteristics of a person who finds himself, herself, digging in fields, hoping to find treasure? I thought of desperate somebody who's desperate, but also maybe somebody who's hopeful. They're hoping that this thing is actually out there, that it can be found. So they're hopeful. They're persistent, but maybe a bit delusional. I mean, you're digging around in fields. I I don't know. I'm thinking if somebody, if I look out in a field and somebody's just digging randomly, I mean, if somebody was in our our back 40 just digging in our back lot, excuse me, what what are you doing out here? I'm hoping to find the buried treasure. I Okay, that's not normal. Might make a phone call to some of our uh, CME PD if I if if we found that. I mean, this person is patient, but maybe a little crazy. The reality is, we're all shopping, we're all seeking. Every one of us is hoping. We're we're like this person, so I, I had to realize this as I was kind of judging this person, thinking of the characteristics. That the reality is, we're all a little bit like this person when we really think about it. It's not hard for us to relate because we're all 
hoping to stumble across something. Maybe we're not digging in fields, but we're hoping that we have the winning lottery ticket, that we're going to catch a lucky break, we're going to discover the item, the person. Sometimes we put our hope in people, that they will be the answer to meaning and significance. Relationships, jobs, cars, houses, outfits, you name it, we are all shopping, seeking for that thing that will finally make us happy. We may not be digging in fields, we may not be setting the seas like a merchant, but we can all relate, I think, at least I can, to the search, the quest for meaning and purpose and value. And gosh, if somebody says maybe it's in a field, we might just go and dig in that field. So this man is digging. He's desperate. He's hopeful. And when he finds this treasure, he does something strange, doesn't he? He does something strange. Did you pick that up in the story? He does something kind of strange. He doesn't get the treasure and go, ha ah, I've got it, and run away with the treasure. He doesn't put it in his pocket, shove it in his bag. No, no, no. He, he hides it again? He hides it again. It's a strange twist in the story. He hides it again because for some reason, the way Jesus tells this story, he believes that he needs to now purchase this entire field to own that treasure. It's a strange twist in the story. I actually think what I've come to understand, I think we've talked about this over the last few weeks, is the strangest part of the story is the part where Jesus wants you to pay attention. The strangest piece in the story is there so that it will really grab your attention. So this strange plot twist for me, this guy who he finds this thing of supreme value that he is now willing to sell everything, give up everything he has because the thing he has found is worth that much, he hides it again? What is he thinking? Maybe he truly is crazy. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? So the main point, though, I think that we need to, to, to understand here, the main point why Jesus tells this is because what he has to do or what he does then to actually get the item. It causes him not just to say, I found it, I was seeking, I found it, I'm done. But the point Jesus is making is that this is so valuable that it's worth giving up everything to get. There's a cost involved in getting the kingdom of God. There's a cost involved to have this treasure. This is the point he's trying to say because otherwise he wouldn't have had, it wouldn't have cost him anything. He would have just been lucky. But the strange twist that Jesus has here in this story makes it so, it sets it up so that this man has to sell everything to get the field. And I want to make one quick point here that, that it's easy to gloss over. It says, in his joy, he sold everything. Did you catch that? His motivation is joy. So he's not like, ah, oh, I've got to give up everything now to get this thing. No, he's happy to give up everything. He's joyful to give up everything. This is like you're in the store and you're just looking, no thanks, I'm just looking, but you suddenly find something, and now you say, I don't care what's in the bank account, I don't care that the credit card is maxed out. Now, financial people just come with me on this, okay? Don't, don't get too worried. You're like, I'm going to sell the house, I'm going to sell the car, the kids are going to be worried, we're having a yard sale, they, they might be next. They just need to, you know, the kids need to be a little nervous, because dad's selling everything to get this thing he found, because it's just that valuable. That's the point Jesus is making here. This 
is not a normal thing. This guy is willing to sell everything to get this thing that Jesus says is the equivalent of the kingdom of God. We're all shopping for the mystery. And when we find it, it's worth giving up everything to have it, to possess the mystery. Let's look at the merchant and the pearl before we get to what does this mean for us. The merchant and the pearl, what is similar, what is different? Again, I had to ask myself, what type of a merchant is going out looking for fine pearls? What is the person that is described in this? And for some reason, I keep thinking of pirates. I keep thinking of a pirate out looking for treasure, out looking for treasure, sailing the seas, hoping to find the treasure. Because what motivates a pirate to just get more and just get more, but they're always looking, it seems like in the pirate stories, for that elusive thing. There's that one thing that's more valuable than all the other things, and they know it's on some island, and they're constantly looking. They can't rest until they find it. They can't rest until they find it. What's interesting in this particular story, though, is that this story strikes me as being exceedingly normal compared to a man digging in the field. A merchant looking for pearls. That's not that crazy. That's not that weird. The strange part, the weird part, again, comes at the point where when this particular merchant finds this one pearl, for whatever reason, this pearl is so valuable that he gives up everything else. He sells everything else. Again, I was picturing a pirate. I'm picturing a pirate who finds finally this one thing, goes back to the boat, and says to his first mate, the boat is yours. All the treasure on the boat, it's all yours. I'm done. I'm out of this because I finally found this thing and it's setting me on a new course, a new trajectory, a new way of life because I've found the thing of most supreme value. I'm done with that other life. I'm starting a new one. Starting a new one. I think that's an interesting point that could be there in this text. And like the man digging the field, he sells everything to get this thing. Okay, we've looked at these. What is the point? What is the point? What do do we glean from this for us, for our lives, other than the obvious, sell everything. You found it. Good job. What does it mean for us? What is the point? So these parables presuppose, both of these parables presuppose, as we've looked at with other parables, that the kingdom is here and can be found. That's not a throwaway point. Jesus is assuming that we know or is helping us understand, again, if we haven't got that point across yet with all these other parables, that the kingdom is here. They don't leave earth to find the kingdom. They don't have out-of-body experiences to find the kingdom. The kingdom is here, Jesus is saying. It's here on this earth, in the ground, like a merchant looking for pearls. So we're all shopping, and guess what? The good news is we can find it. We can find the treasure. The kingdom can be found. It's worth looking for. But we're all shopping. Let's go back to that point. We're all shopping. Everybody wants to have a life of significance, of value. We want to know that our time on earth matters. We want to seek ways to leave a mark to make a difference. Some do this through trying to get power, wealth, influence, fame, prestige. Others do this by giving their lives away. I want to make a mark on the earth by giving my life away in service to the community, to the world. Think Mother Teresa on one end, business moguls on the other end trying to leave a dent on the world. And most of us, I would say, are somewhere in between there. Just trying to figure out through faithfulness and even in the mundane of of going to work, going to school, raising kids, having friends, how do we leave 
a dent, a mark on this world. So we're seeking, we're shopping, we're searching for the best ways to make an impression, a difference, a mark on the lives and the landscape around us. We're all shopping. And Jesus says that seeking can lead us to find the kingdom, a kingdom not all of this world, but a kingdom that is already present in this world, a kingdom shaping this world that will one day redeem this world and make all things new. I want to make a theological point here right now that I think is really important when we think about the kingdom of God. A seminary professor of mine said, remember, remember, remind your people, remind yourself that our hope is in God's promise that, behold, I am making all things new. You heard that statement? You're tracking with me? I am making all things new. But, he said, the seminary professor of mine, too many of us have mistakenly heard this as, behold, I am making all new things. One leads us to have tremendous hope In the midst of the messiness of our world, hope that the kingdom actually can affect change in this world, in people like you and like me right now. Behold, I'm making all things new. Redemption is possible for you, for me, for anybody out there. Redemption is possible. There is hope. The other, which all too often sneaks into the church, I'm making all new things leads us to this hope that all of this is just going to disappear because it's all junk. That's not very hopeful. That leads us to have a very negative view of, of humanity, of life on this planet. So if God is making all things new, that shapes our kingdom's perspective, shapes our kingdom understanding, helps us to believe that it's worth seeking treasure, it's worth helping others find the treasure right here, right now on this earth, in this life. This is not denying the reality of the afterlife or heaven, but this is saying let's, let's, let's also focus on that this, is, this can be found now. Jesus is driving that point home here that the kingdom can be found right now. You can find it now. So for all the shoppers, for all the seekers, you can find it now, here. I was also thinking that that just prompted my thinking of the Lord's Prayer, that we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I remember coming across uh, somebody one time saying, how many of us actually pray that prayer and want that to happen? We want that to happen. How many of us really want that redemptive hope for the people around us, for the world in which we live? Or do we have this kind of, ah, the world is so messy, it just needs to start over? There are times when I look around, I mean, we're in a really fun political season right now, right? Really fun. I mean, it doesn't make many of us hopeful. At least that's, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, there's not a lot of hope. And it makes people go like, oh, maybe we just need to get rid of all of this. But our hope as people who say our king is Jesus Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is kingdom of God's citizens. Jesus is king. It makes us say, you know what? There's still hope because God's making all things new. There is still hope because the kingdom can be found. The kingdom is present right here, growing up all around us, and we can participate in it. And I want to conclude with this this morning. 
the point I want to, and it's going to be a long conclusion. I'm just warning you. Okay, because I got a couple pages left here, so I don't want you to think like, whoo, he's concluding. That means he's got like two things left to say. I got, here's the conclusion, because what do you do with all this? The question is, what do we actually do about it? What do we actually do about this reality that the kingdom is here, it can be found, we are kingdom citizens, how can we help others find it? I was reading one commentator, and he made an interesting point, and I think that you can interpret this this way, and others might choose not to, but one commentator said this, it's possible that the church is sort of like the field with hidden treasure, or the church is kind of like the shop with this pearl of immense value, that the kingdom in in some sense is hidden right here, right here. And people who are seeking, who are shopping, hopefully they will find the kingdom when they come to the church or where they interact with people who possess the knowledge of the kingdom of God. Are you with me on this? Are you tracking a little bit here? This is a little bit of of an interesting thing. But to think about that we, we are the ones who hold the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom of God and it's not a secret that we keep. It's something we share. It's something we say, we have this secret, but it's available to anyone, everyone, who will put their faith in Jesus Christ, who will believe in it. It's it's, it's available to anyone, and we want to share it. We want to give it away. We want for everybody who's seeking, everybody who's shopping, we want to say, like, we got it over here. Come on. Come and get some of it. Let's go. But the question then is, are we a help or are we a hindrance to the quest for everybody who's seeking, everybody who's shopping? Have we put not for sale signs up in our shops? No trespassing signs in our fields. Have we made it hard for people to see that the thing we're selling is actually good news? It's joyful to get it. It's worth getting. How have we done? And when I say church, I'm not talking about Simi Covenant Church. I'm talking about the, the big church. How are we doing as the people of God? This commentator, he writes this, another one that caught my attention. He says, we offer to sell them the mystery of love. Everybody's seeking, everybody's shopping, and we offer to sell them the mystery of love. But the way we talk about God and Jesus makes it sound sometimes as if we're trying to peddle a live rattlesnake. Have you heard that gospel message? The one that's not received in joy but in fear? I was thinking about this because this... this this really irks me these days because I, I used to teach this gospel message that, that would scare people into the kingdom. I used to teach it. I remember being at camp one time as a volunteer counselor. And the, uh, the speaker that week got the counselors together and, and she said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really give them the good news of the kingdom today. Okay, I'm giving them, this is going to be the time. The kids' hearts are going to be open. Get ready to pray the prayer with them. They're going to receive Jesus today. I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Let me think about how I'm supposed to do this. I was a young seminarian. Okay, this is big time. This is like seal the deal forever and ever with these kids. And the message went something like this. Listen, kids, you tell one lie. You cheat one time. You be mean to your brother or sister. You disrespect your parents. You're going to hell. Unless you know Jesus. He's great. He loves you, but if you make him mad, you're going to hell. Okay, okay, counselors, it's on you now. 
All right, go talk to your counselors if you have any questions about what it means to love Jesus and not go to hell. And I was sitting there, what do I do with this? And I'll never forget this one kid who was a seeker. He was a shopper. He was unchurched. He was the kid we wanted to reach with the love of Christ. A friend had invited him to camp. Yes, we have the treasure. We want to give you the treasure, man. Come into the kingdom. And all he was fixated on was this Jesus who loves us is just sending people to hell for one little lie? There was no joy. He was afraid. And as much I tried with him over the week, it felt like this child, he decided he was going to shop somewhere else. He was going to seek treasure from a different field after what he had heard that week. A few months ago, we talked about the gospel in chairs. I don't know if you remember that. The gospel in chairs that, that Jesus, uh, that, that God that is, is always pursuing us, always putting his chair back in front of us. It's we who turn and he pursues us. In the book that uh, theologian Bradley Jersak describes the gospel in chairs, he tells this parable, this parable that reminds me of the gospel I heard as a kid as the gospel I heard at camp that week. And it goes something like this. He says, imagine there's a king. He has a son, the prince, and it's time for the prince to marry. And the king looks out and he sees this beautiful peasant woman. And he thinks, gosh, she needs to be, she needs to be the bride of my son. And so they go to her. He says, young lady, this is my son, the prince of the kingdom, heir to all that is mine. Come out of your life of poverty and oppression. Join my son in marriage, enjoying all of the benefits that come with a princess life. Now the offer seems too good to be true. All she needs to do is say yes, and all of the kingdom is hers. But there's a hitch. The king continues, there is, however, a deadline if you don't say yes by such and such a date, we're going to have to arrest you and put you in the dungeon. And as the king, the prince, their cohort leave, the prince turns and says, yes, please hurry. Know that I will always love you forever and ever, but only until the deadline. Sometimes, unfortunately, this is the message that I have heard in the church. We have this joyful kingdom, this good news of Jesus Christ. We have this to share for all who are seeking, all who are shopping, to share with them, to invite them into the family, invite them into the kingdom. And instead we give them a rattlesnake. Oh, we want you to come, we want you to come, but there's a deadline. There's a catch. See, the key, I think, here in interpreting these, why I went this direction, if you're kind of like, this is a little strange direction to go, why I chose to go this direction is because that, that phrase, in his joy, kept grabbing my attention. In his joy, he sold everything. In his joy, he sold everything. He wasn't motivated by fear or wondering what was, it just was in his joy. He was so excited that he was willing to give up everything. That's the good news of Jesus where we're willing to give up everything to possess. I do want to take a step back, though. I do want to take a step back in realizing that there is a cost. This also points to the fact that there is a cost in following Jesus. There is a cost. The gift is free, but there is a cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, makes this point 
so eloquently early, early on in the book about cheap grace and costly grace. Just in case what, what you think I'm saying is that like, ah, nothing matters. Just have people come running in and don't ask anything of them. They shouldn't change lives. Like, they're not going to change their lives. Jesus changes our lives. But, but what, I'm, what I'm arguing for is that we would, we would in, invite people into what is joyful, what is truly good news. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this about cheap grace and costly grace. He says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, without the cross, without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. He continues, Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. Costly grace, he says, is the gospel which must be sought again and again, excuse me, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. We, in the church, we claim to know the joy of possessing the treasure. We're, we're seeking to, we're still shopping, we're still looking for moments where the kingdom is present and trying to go to those places and invite others to join us. The question that I had from these texts this morning is, will we help those who are seeking, those shopping, to discover the treasure? Will we joyfully point our fellow seekers and shoppers to the treasure? Will we invite them to share in this treasure that we found? I think that's an interesting point that the parables don't exactly make, but this man finds the treasure, he hides it, he, he buys the field so that now he owns it, but in the kingdom, we share the treasure. We invite others to come and share in the treasure that we have found. And we believe that our God is so gracious, so generous, that there's enough to go around. We don't have to be stingy and say, well, I found it. I don't want anybody else coming in here and ruining it. We get to share the treasure. We want others to come in. It's not a secret club. The mystery of the kingdom of God is revealed, and we get to share it with others. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. It's like a pearl a merchant spends his entire life in search of. And he says that when one finds it, it's worth laying everything else aside that we might enjoy, possess, inhabit, participate in the greatest thing ever, the kingdom where Jesus is king. So let us, if there's anything you walk away from today, let us as the church Help those who are seeking and shopping find what they are looking for in Jesus Christ and enjoy find what they are looking for. Would you pray with me? God, the truth is that you sent your son to die for us and, and he, he rose defeating death. And your word says, Lord, that that's a, a, it's a free gift. Your word even says that Jesus in his joy endured the cross. The author of Hebrews says that in, in Jesus' joy, he endured the cross. God, help us in our own trials and our own struggles and our own questions to pursue the answers with joy. Help us, God, as we consider those who are on this quest with us who are still seeking, they're not yet 
in the kingdom. They're not yet given their lives to Jesus, but they're seeking, they're shopping, they're looking. Help us to joyfully share what we have found with them. And Lord, make this church, See Me Covenant Church, a place where the, the kingdom is, is joyfully sold, where we share it generously, inviting others to experience what we have experienced, to the joy of finding life in Jesus Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.